This podcast is not live, and you know how you can tell? I'm producing it, but there are some podcasts out there that dig that live-on-the-air vibe, and we're talking to a friend about it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're talking to Jason Howell. Jason is the host and producer of the All About Android podcast, and there's one big difference between this show and that one. Audience size. I'm kidding, but I'm not really kidding. Tell a friend, would you? But seriously, the main difference between the AAA podcast and this show is the fact that this show is not live. All About Android airs every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific, rain or shine, hell or high water. This podcast airs every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central, but... Maybe I recorded on Friday. Maybe I recorded on Saturday. Maybe it's like this script read and it's both. Maybe I recorded on Tuesday or three weeks ago. You just never know. By the way, the conversation I had with Jason, I recorded back in November. So I think you're starting to see my point. So I wanted to talk to Jason about the key differences between these shows. It's another peek behind the curtain with our friends and it's a fun listen. And there's also no tech yeah this week because it's a holiday weekend and we're hosting to party and frankly i'm lucky my wife is giving me the time to record all of this so basically i gotta bounce but first we'll get to the news of the week This first story really only makes the cut because of the Chicago connection that our friends at Android Authority either didn't know about or just forgot to mention. Netflix has a thumbs up and thumbs down rating system for its content which replaced a star system about five years ago. This week Netflix started rolling out a third option too enthusiastic thumbs up. This is for content that you really like and that makes sense because two thumbs up is a movie reference and for you kids out there let me explain. Back in the day, the city of Chicago had two movie critics, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. They worked for competing newspapers, but for a while, they hosted a couple of shows together, and eventually their rating system came to involve a thumbs up or a thumbs down to indicate if they liked a movie or not. Since the two often disagreed on parts of movies and tended to have differing opinions, if the movie got two thumbs up, that meant that both Siskel and Ebert liked the movie, so that became a ringing endorsement for a movie. Now, I don't blame Android Authority for not mentioning this, but I do blame Netflix for not mentioning it in their blog. Shame on them, but I will carry the Chicago torch for all of us, and this feature gets two thumbs up from me because, you know, two thumbs up is awesome. You might remember a couple of weeks ago that I mentioned that CNN was launching its own streaming service called CNN Plus, and if you don't remember, That's okay, because I'll be totally honest, I don't remember if I mentioned it or not. And even if I did, none of you paid any attention to it, or so the numbers from CNN seem to indicate. Because as the headline at Gizmodo reads, 
No one is watching CNN Plus. According to CNBC, after two weeks, only 10,000 subscribers are actively forking over $6 per month to watch the streaming version of a 24-hour doom scroll. Now, don't get me wrong, I like to stay informed as much as the next guy, but the news has the tagline, if it bleeds, it leads, for a reason. Even Florence Ion, the author of the Gizmodo Post, and friend of the show, by the way, went into the app and, well, here's a quote. Immediately, I'm hit with news about today's tragedy in New York City, followed by a row of special reports going deeper into what happened with photos emblazoned all over, even as the news is still developing. People are in news overload enough as it is, adding another subscription fee just to hunt through CNN's more docu-style content isn't a particular compelling pitch. And that's a good point. Most news is frankly depressing and the idea of signing up for a service to serve me 24 hours of tragedy that's a hard pass if i wanted that i could watch well cnn and for the record i also won't be signing up for a service called kicking sacks full of puppies plus because i don't want to see that either a few months ago, Google and T-Mobile got together and came out with a special Google One plan for 500 gigabytes of storage for just $5 per month. Meh. But now, Google and T-Mobile have done it again, and this time, I think the offer is more compelling. Remember how pissed off we all were when Google stopped unlimited Google Photo backups of original quality? Well, it's back, baby! For $15 per month, you can get 2 terabytes of Google Drive storage and unlimited Google Photos storage. That's $5 more than the normal 2TB plan, which, by the way, I'm signed up for, and I've used over half of. Anyway, this plan drops on April 24th, and I can't sign up fast enough. Unlimited Google Photos storage is very compelling for me, not only because I take a lot of photos, but because I switch phones so often. But I'm also a T-Mobile subscriber, and this is yet another reason why I probably won't stop being a T-Mobile subscriber anytime soon. You also get other benefits of Google One, including a VPN, 10% credit back from the Google Store for purchases, and the like. But basically, this is a long way of saying that Google finally figured out how to charge a subscription fee for unlimited original quality photos, and I admit, I'm a sucker for it. Take my money and well played, Google. Okay, so these next few stories are going to wade into the Twitter waters, and if you're not cool with that, I get it, but... Here we go anyway. We'll start off with a lighter story. Last year, Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey decided to mint his first tweet ever, which, by the way, was the first tweet ever, ever. So it's kind of a big deal as an NFT. Anyway, so Dorsey sold his first tweet to crypto entrepreneur Sina Estave for $2.9 million. Hefty sum? Good for Jack Dorsey, I guess. Well, this week, Estavi decided he was going to be a generous soul and go ahead and auction that NFT off and donate half the proceeds to charity. Well, that's jolly really nice of you, Gavna. At the time, Estavi estimated that the donation would be worth as much as $25 million. And for those of you who can't math, that means he expected to get around $50 million for the NFT. So the auction began, and seven days later, you can imagine Estavi's surprise at the winning bid. Not 25 million, not 50, 280! Oh my god, 280 million dollars? <laughs> no, 280 dollars. 
Now, fortunately for Astavi, at the close of the auction, the seller gets to decide to accept or reject the bids, and it's fairly safe to say he rejected that bid. But what he did instead was he extended the auction, which now sits at a whopping $4,600. Woohoo! At this rate, Twitter will have seen its last tweet before the first tweet sells. CNET also rightly points out that this doesn't really seem like how auctions should work, but here we are and we're back to making fun of crypto people and nfts you bet we are um excuse me did i say star trek anywhere in there no i don't think so so yes we will make fun of them because nfts are just dumb and speaking of rejected bids for Twitter, you'll recall last week that Elon Musk suddenly became the largest shareholder for the social network. At the time, I made a joke about a boy who gets a favorite toy growing up to buy the company that makes that toy. Well, I would like to welcome Elon Musk to my ranks of listeners because this week... That's what he tried to do. He filed a purchase request with the SEC asking to buy Twitter for just over $54 per share, which would be a 54% premium over the current stock price. And if you're wondering what that crashing sound was, that was all of Elon Musk's lawyers going to help Tim Sweeney's assistant find his chair. And that right there is what we call a deep cut. And if you follow that reference, do me a favor and tweet me with the hashtag deep cut because you will just make my day. Anyway, if you're wondering how Twitter users responded, it went something like this. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Twitter said it would review the sale and make a decision, but the Morning Brew suggests that it's not likely because Twitter just got rid of one distracted owner and it probably doesn't want another one. Or at least I hope not. Actually, as it turns out, Twitter installed what's called a poison pill clause that prevents hostile takeovers of the company. I'm not entirely sure how it works. You can probably Google it. And you might wonder why they did that. Elon Musk is obviously one of Twitter's biggest supporters. Well, one needs only look at Elon's Twitter feed to figure out why this would probably be terrible for the platform. The most recent example of which has since been deleted, by the way, and it was a poll asking his followers if Elon should remove the W from the name. And yes, I'm going to say it because someone has to titter. I only said Elon was smart. I never said he was mature. Of course, when asked about the sale at a TED conference yesterday, and boy, I can't wait to hear that TED talk, someone asked Musk if there was a plan B for buying Twitter, and he said, there is. He went on to say, quoting Morning Brew here, quote, acquiring Twitter wasn't about the money. It's about making the platform an inclusive arena for free speech. You don't have to read between the lines here to realize that Musk is probably talking about a certain former president and others who have been kicked off the platform due to the spread of misinformation and, you know, overt threats against foreign leaders in the span of 280 characters. Anyway, here's hoping that Twitter holds out against Elon's idiotic takeover and that we can all just go back to trolls and shitposts. And did you ever think we would long for those days? Neither did I. Jeez. One of the ridiculous suggestions that Elon made and has since been deleted was turning Twitter headquarters into a homeless shelter since, and I quote, 
No one shows up to work anyway. <laughs> snark, snark, snark. Elon is, of course, referring to Twitter's pandemic-inspired work-from-home policy, and we all know how much Elon disdains the pandemic and public health. So yeah, shots fired over from the Musk camp right now. Some massive shade is being thrown, except wait... Not so fast, because a very unexpected white knight arrived in the form of Jeff Space Penis Bezos, who said, quote, Or do portion. Worked out great and makes it easy for employees who want to volunteer. And he linked to a GeekWire story telling how Amazon's headquarters in Seattle is also a homeless shelter and, wait for it, it works out great for employees who want to volunteer. And may I just say, bravo, Jeff Bezos, both for turning part of his multi-billion dollar empire headquarters into a homeless shelter and for snapping back at Elon's snippiness. It was well played and very awesome to learn about. And by the way, I was today years old when I learned that part of Amazon's headquarters is a homeless shelter. Love it. Love the shoes. Love the bag. Love it. So let's move off of Twitter, which is... Honestly, something I kind of wish I could actually do, but only when it's fashionable to crap on Twitter. And let's move on to self-driving cars. But in this case, Elon, I'm talking about cars that can actually drive themselves. A GM Cruise autonomous taxi in San Francisco got pulled over by the police, which is pretty funny in and of itself. But what's even funnier is that when the police pulled the car over, they walked over to the car and saw that no one was in there. And then the car just kind of took off and drove another 100 feet or so, causing the cops to scramble back to their car and go after it. A very funny video is linked in the show notes, and you should check it out. So anyway, after the car stopped again and police once again verified that nobody was in it, they all just kind of stood around for a while, wondering what to do, as one does. Current speculation is that the police pulled over the car because it didn't have its headlights on, which... Fair point is pretty dangerous at night, even in a well-lit area. It turns out the police have a special phone number that they can use to contact crews directly and settle what's going on, and the police did that, but the video is still funny, which is why I mention it. And there's a link to it in the show notes and at benefitofadow.com for you to go check it out, so please do that or sign up for the newsletter at bit.ly slash news and have the headlines sent straight to your inbox. That's bit.ly slash BOTD News, and I thank you. You might remember the Game Boy handheld gaming system, but what some of you may not remember is that Game Boy once had a camera accessory that you could use. Yes, the photos were in black and white, or as Hackaday calls it, 2-bit color, and it's grainy and not terribly great, but it's still a camera, and the YouTubers on the channel HackMakeMod modified the camera with some 3D printing to allow Game Boy to receive traditional SLR lenses, and interchangeable SLR lenses besides. This makes it possible for the Game Boy to not only do some amazing astrophotography shots of the moon, super low-res shots, but still amazing, but it also allows them to change out the lens for something like a macro lens and do some 2-bit color macro shots as well. Now, there isn't really much more to the story here. It's just really badass, and I kind of love it. Is it pointless and stupid? 
Sure, but the ingenuity behind these kinds of mods will never cease to amaze and astonish me. And by the way, pointless and stupid does not automatically equal bad. Sometimes pointless and stupid is also awesome. Take this podcast, for example. And this is another one of those wonderful examples. Once again, I've linked to the video in the show notes, and you need to go check this out. News. And finally, this show has an unapologetic love of Stargate, and this week Stargate fans were treated to a dose of what could have been. Joe Malazzi, who, by the way, has an open invitation to come onto the show literally anytime he wants to, and we have discussed it, so stay tuned. Anyway, Joe Malazzi recently published a list of episodes that Stargate Atlantis would have aired had it gotten a sixth season. Not only that, but on his Twitter feed and then on his blog, he described each episode episode elevator pitch style one by one and dear listener let me just say season six would have been absolutely amazing and while i'm sad that i don't get to see it i'm extraordinarily happy that i get to read about it the episode yesterday today and tomorrow in particular seems like it had huge potential there's really no other story here except to repeat that the companion has announced that stargate ai 2.0 will be coming in may you might remember the project because lawrence moroni and i discussed it just before the end of last season of the show by all reports this version is very much a 2.0 in that it's more detailed and more put together than the 1.0 and 1.0 is pretty damn good i can't wait for it and if you want to listen in go to www.thecompanion.app and sign up and you too can laugh along with me and i'll close this out with a hearty thank you to all involved with stargate but most especially joe malazzi who has given us one more peek behind the curtain of stargate and speaking of peeks behind the curtain let's get to our top story You may or may not know that as a podcast producer, I kind of hate live productions. The main reason is the need to just let go and have faith in the process. And while I do generally have faith in my process, if something goes wrong, a live production doesn't give you any leeway to correct that. Our guest today has kind of leaned into the idea of live productions, conducting his flagship podcast, All About Android, for which he is a host and producer, live in front of an online audience. So I just wanted to talk to him about that very, very different environment. Jason Howell, welcome to the podcast. What's up? It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And like, you know, one of the things, you know, you, you've you had me on the All About Android show a couple of times. And the one thing that always kind of strikes me about it is that it's a completely live production. Like, you know, when yeah. you go when you go live at eight o'clock on Tuesdays, it's at eight o'clock. Actually, is it eight o'clock? Is it six o'clock for you? I forget because like five o'clock Pacific. Zone. Yeah, five, five o'clock, o'clock Pacific. But, you know, I mean, Time rarely do hard. we ever start the show at 5 o'clock. <laughs> we're, we're trying to, like, open the live stream at 5 so that people can get there. And, you know, then, then we've got the whole pre-show lead up yeah. to the real show and stuff. And doing it over Skype, which is kind of old school. I appreciate well, that. Actually, we're now using Zoom. We switched over to Zoom oh, you are? Uh, okay. a number of months ago. So, yeah, we've uh, <laughs> we finally moved on from that old Skype train. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I I wouldn't know because the last time I was on, you were on Skype. I'm just saying. Well, there <clears> we <throat> go. We gotta hint, fix that. Hint. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but anyway, so no, like I just wanted to talk about like one of the reasons that I am a I am a major control freak, and um, so like I like to make sure that I have like all of my ducks in a row, all of my bases covered, and if something goes wrong, I like to know that I have a little bit of time to fix it because you know, believe it or not, sometimes on podcasts things go wrong. So it's been known to happen. I just wanted to, you know, kind of pick your brain a little bit and, you know, see how you felt about the whole live production thing and, you know, what you prefer, what some of your challenges are, what some of your freedoms are from doing a live show. Well, I think, I think, you know, for as long as I've done podcasting, which, you know, at this point dates back to about 2006, it's always been live. Uh, For me, you know, doing podcasting at CNET, um, well, okay. So I, I guess, I guess one question is, you know, what do you define as live? If, if what you define as live is you hit record, you start your podcast, you end your podcast, you, you, you know, stop the recording and then you put it out basically unedited. That's kind of what I'm talking about live okay. Ear- early on at CNET. We weren't broadcasting live while we were recording, but mm-hmm. we were still recording live to tape and there was no real edit happening unless there was like some major critical thing that needed to be edited out. Okay. Um, we weren't going back and manicuring the podcast the way so many podcasters do. It's really always been Guilty. live to tape. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, that's a bad approach uh, that could, that makes for a much cleaner product. But I think ultimately what I've learned over the years is when it's live to tape, like, it's just a lot less work, to be honest. Like it's very, it's less, and, and that comes in really handy when you're producing and recording multiple shows a day, all the time. Like, and especially when you're talking about really newsy topics. If something is, you know, if if we're doing a show that's all about current news, at the end of the day, what we want is we want to get that information out to someone as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, recording live live to tape enables that. I mean, when you're editing. Like, you know, uh, anyone who's edited anything, audio, video knows, like you could literally edit forever because there's oh, yeah. always something that you could perfect. <laughs> and so that just makes the the whole process take longer. And the reality is like, and this has been my experience, is that over time, you know, whereas, you know, early on recording live to tape had its challenges and how do I stop saying uh and um and, you know, how do I make sure that when I'm coughing, it doesn't come through the microphone. You know, I have a mute mute pedal down here. Like all these things that were difficult in the beginning, it turns out the more you do something, the better you get at it. <laughs> so, so it's just over time, it's just gotten a lot easier to record live to tape. And if that's just the standard that we do, then, hey, we're going to eventually we're going to create a product that that, you know, that isn't difficult to listen to for a number of those things because we figured that out. And and that's kind yeah. of where I feel like anyways, I've, I've gotten to. I do, by the way, envy your incredible, incredible ability to not. um. So just I just I want to say mad respect, brother, because, like, yeah, I I mean, I'm I'd, 10 years into this and I still do it. Yeah, it's that's a hard that's a really hard habit to break. And I am by no means a non ummer. I I I don't know if it's um that I say, but I definitely say uh so it, it's like and uh well, you know, that that comes in from time to time. But you're right. Any of those ticks and it and it might not just be an uh or an um, it might be a word 
I mean, like is the word that comes to to mind. So many people, Guilty. you know, throw <laughs> likes in every other word. It, we just we have these these things that we speak with. And we and we've done it for so long that we don't realize that we do it until we listen back to it later. We're like, "This, see, I just did it," um, you know. And we realize it's a minefield, and you know, oh, yeah. it, and that's where it goes back to this whole editing pro- process. It's like you could spend so long cutting out every single like or every single ah or um, and it's not just as easy as cutting those out. It's cutting those out and does it. Like, is there is there extra space there that sounds unnatural or does that then cut into, you know, the the intake of breath that that mm-hmm. leads into the next word? And so everything cr- becomes really complicated with crossfades and all this stuff. You're spending hours editing this thing that let's be frank, like podcasts as a whole, they're. <laughs> I mean, I kind of don't want to say this, but they're kind of expendable by an episode to episode basis. What I record right now, if I'm doing a news podcast, what I record right now is going to be totally out of touch and out of date in a week. And so if I spent all of that time editing it, you know, that might be just like a little more effort than needs to be there. Just get better at speaking live and uh, you save you save so much time in the long run. You really do. Well, maybe then as tribute to that, I should just put out this particular segment completely unedited, ums and all, likes and all, and let's just let's just do it, man. Let's just let's just let go and let God, right? So I think I'm not my, saying um, everybody has to do it. I'm just saying it works for me. No, no, totally, and and that is the kind of freedom that is very amazing. Like I I know because when I'm editing. The podcast. I've actually gotten it down to the point where I'll do a record, and, and since it's scripted, I, w- I will stumble over lines, so I will have to go back and you know re-record yeah. those. So yeah. I'll do an edit to you know get rid of the stumbles, and then when I'm assembling the show. I just listen to it, and that's my QA pass. Like, as I'm assembling the show, like, as I'm putting in the swooshes on the news and stuff like that. And it's funny because just this past week, and I'm kind of dating this particular segment because I'm not entirely sure when it's going to air. But just this past week, I referenced iOS 5.1, which was clearly not right. (laughs) (laughs) And I listened to it, and I'm like, I could fix that. I should fix that. I'm not going to fix that. <laughs> and ultimately, I just decided to let it go because yeah, yeah. I was a little bit pressed for time as it was. So. And, and because, you know what? We're human. We make mistakes. Yeah. It's okay. And I figured if anybody calls me out on it, I'll just be like, yeah, sorry. I caught that too. But, I mean, if anyone know. calls you out on it, you can you can be like, but did you did you know what I meant? Right. Okay, exactly. great. Then I no got- harm, no foul. You, you got there. Yeah. That's the point. So what about what about someone like the pitfalls of doing like a live show? Like what are some of the what are some of the challenges that you run up, run into regularly on on doing a live show that Well, let me think about this. What are some of the pitfalls that uh that come along with doing a live show? I, I mean can, I mean I I got one right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh prime uh, the pump. For example, let's say a guest totally flakes out on you at the last minute. Oh know? boy, yeah, that's that's a good one. You know, you and I are recording this six days before it goes to air. So honestly, if you'd come back to me yesterday and said, "You know what? I hate to do this, but I just got all this stuff I gotta get done," 
I probably could have found a replacement in the next five days to get you on and or not you obviously, but to, right, get, right, right. to get on and, and and still record this segment. So it wouldn't have been as bad. Like, cause this is the show that you just did. I should give context is beyond a doubt, which is actually a live production. So if, if, if I had to get somebody, I would have just pushed it off. But I mean, it drops on the 15th to the main feed. Yeah. It's complicated. I get it. But like, <laughs> so I, anyway, I could have gotten somebody else on to fill in that gap in the next six days. Theoretically, it would have been a totally different show, obviously, but yeah. it would have been it would have been doable. So I, I, I think that's a prime that's a prime example. Um, Tech News Weekly is one of the shows I do for Twit, and it is a interview based show. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we record between eleven and noon on Thursdays. We have at least two to three interviews scheduled. You know, one at eleven, one at eleven fifteen, sometimes another one at eleven thirty. And there have been times like it just it's bound to happen where we're five minutes until showtime and so and so drops out of of their interview block. And it turns out we've got three ads, you know, who are who are booked for that show. So we need mm-hmm. content for that 15 minute block. That's 20 minutes from now. What the heck do we do? And I think my advice there is ultimately like get you know, it's it's the it's the advice that's hard to hear um, because I've heard it so many times, and you know I can kind of roll my eyes at it. But get comfortable being uncomfortable um, mm. is is kind of what I've had to learn over time because I am a, an over preparer. It's really hard for me to fly by the seat of my pants, but I've had to allow myself in those situations to just expect that things are going to be okay. Find a story really quick. Like you just using this as the example, find a story really quick or remember a story that didn't quite make it into the show that caught my attention, throw it in there. And I bet you by the end of that 15 minute block, we will have something there. It might not be as polished or it might not be as perfect as talking to someone who wrote the article, but I bet we have opinions and thoughts about it. And I'm sure that even though I haven't written up a summary about it, I could still describe it if I, if I took my time and everything. And at the end of the day, you know, I'd say nine times out of 10, it works fine. And if it doesn't, again, go back to the tip that I shared earlier, you know, podcasts that like they, they kind of they kind of happen and then they float away, they drift away. You know, a week later they're they're in many ways completely irrelevant. So it's fine. People forgive you. It's totally fine to just take what you have and and you know, it's it's finding comfort in being uncomfortable. That's that's really hard for me. That's that's like that's almost greater work for my life than just podcasting is like finding comfort and discomfort. But uh, the better, the closer I can get to that, the easier, you know, situations like that are because it can be really, it can really uh, shake the earth when something like that happens. And I could, you know, I've, I've many times fallen into a panic mode of like, oh no, what the heck do I do now? And it's cool. It's just a podcast. You're going to be fine and people are going to be fine with it too. Nice, nice, yeah. very cool. Any other uh, pitfalls that you can think of that maybe uh, now that the pri- pump is primed? Well, I would say um, you know one, <laughs> one thing that that I've had uh, come up multiple times uh, throughout my years is the recording that you thought recorded but didn't record, or uh, been there. or the recording that did record, but then when you hit stop, 
uh, it you know it failed or yeah. any number of reasons why the thing you thought you recorded didn't record and all I can say there is um, you know finding some way to have some sort of duplicate recording source is really essential at twit obviously we have a you know a lot of resources there we've got a tricaster that's recording we've got another computer a computer that's recording the stream you know I think yeah. we, I think in essence, we've got two or three, maybe even more than that, backup sources so that if one recording fails, we've got another one. It's not fast to get to. It might be more challenging to, to pull that media off, but at right. least it exists. And at least that amazing you know, interview that, that just happened isn't completely lost because there's nothing worse than getting to the end and telling someone, and uh, we're going to have to do that again. That's just, mm -hmm. oh my goodness. That's like heart you can feel your heart beating in your toes. It just your heart fell to your feet. You know, it's oh, it's the worst. By, so. by, the, by the way, Jason, I just looked over at my recorder and um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, well, Jason, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, and chatting with me about the the challenges of the live production. And um, I didn't realize until the end of our talk why you were staring off into nothingness. Is because I'm not on your screen. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you want to know why I'm but, staring off into nothingness? Because I'm looking over on my windowsill right now, and uh -huh. I'm seeing ants, oh. and and uh, there's there's a number of them. So after we're done here, I'm going to be doing some ant remediation because it's raining gotcha. outside, and so they come inside, and uh, that that freaks me out. I'm going to get rid okay. of those ants. Yeah. Well, okay. You go get rid of those ants. And Jason Howell, once again, thank you for coming on and talking about the challenges of live production. And I hope I can have you on again sometime, sometime soon. Thank you. This is a lot of fun, Adam. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. If you want some early access, jump onto Patreon at patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt. You can write to the show by visiting benefit of a slash contact. I'd like to thank Jason Howell for coming on and talking about live productions. And since we didn't get to mention this in the show, you can visit Jason Howell on Twitter at Jason Howell, J-A-S-O-N-H-O-W-E-L-L, or just visit the All About Android podcast at twit.tv slash AAA. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.